Hey Peer listeners, do you think you have a child that has special intuition that you can't quite put your finger on or understand? Well, today you've come to the right place. On today's podcast, we interview Dr. Therese Rowley. Therese has her doctorate of organizational transformation. She's got an MBA from Northwestern University, and she's the author of an amazing book called Mapping a New Reality, Discovering Intuitive Intelligence. But she's so much more. She describes herself as a skilled intuitive. So what does that mean? It means she's got an ability to understand or know something without any direct evidence or reasoning process. Kathy and I have a great conversation, and in part one of this two-part interview, we cover topics such as indigo children, and indigo children possess special, unusual, and sometimes supernatural traits or abilities. Therese says that everybody has mystical experiences, like when you first fall in love or when your first child is born. So to be honest with you, in this interview, my logical brain struggled a bit through some of the ideas that Therese shares in this interview, as you'll find out. But she helps me out by saying things like this. So intuition doesn't come from a logical mind. The land of intuition sits over, just over the, the mountain from, from logic. And uh, logic has to uh, take its shoes off mm-hmm. and it has to go to another land. And this land is an intuition. The land, uh, the language of that land is image and metaphor and abstraction. Mm-hmm. So put your mystical hat on and here we go with Dr. Therese Rowley. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. We have a special guest this week, don't we, sweetie? We do. Dr. Therese Rowley. And Dr. Therese, I have my little cheat sheet here. You wrote a book called Mapping a New Reality, Discovering Intuitive Intelligence. And I, when I was doing my research, which means I kind of looked her up on the web 20 minutes ago, I, have, I, noticed, I, have the book. I noticed the picture and I'm like, I know that book because it was next to your bedside I know. for a long time. I read that book. Um, so you're an author. You'll hold a PhD in organizational transformation from the Union Institute and University and MBA from Northwestern University, um, master's in public administration, the University of Denver. So you're pretty well read. You've done a lot of studying. It's Yeah, I was a professional student for a while there. How many years, <laughs> yes. when did you start making money and you weren't a student anymore? Or did you make money and then go back to school? What did you do? Yeah, actually, it was always a blend. Okay. Uh, so when I started my uh, MBA at well, I, the first time I was a student, when I went to the University of Denver, I went straight from undergrad and I did that. And I studied marketing and nonprofit organizations. And then I went to work. And then while I was working with the big six consulting firm, I got an MBA at Kellogg. And then when I, then I did a lot of other work and entrepreneurial work. And then I worked inside companies and outside. And then when I came back to Chicago from California, where I had moved for nine years, I started my PhD. So the whole time I did my PhD, I was working as well in got my it. own company. So you were pretty busy that time. <laughs> I've been pretty <laughs> busy little. most of my life. <laughs> so, sweetie, you wanted to kind of start it out here. Well, so. I just wanted to say uh, that Therese was one of our speakers at our conference that we had in March. And we were so excited to have her because she brought a really wonderful perspective that I wanted people to hear. Um, because I'd read her book. And I've, you know, Annie Burnside is one of my best friends, Therese. So, and, you know, you know her very well. And She's Jen awesome. Weigel. And so I had known your name for a long time. So I knew that we would somehow connect eventually. Um, but the breakout that Therese did was called, um, it, it was about highly sensitive children. And 
leading up to the conference and even at the conference, right before the breakout, people were coming up to me and saying, what does that mean? What does sensitive children mean? Can you give me the definition so I know if this one's for me, if this breakout's for me? And I was trying to give them my best, you know, well, here's what it is or here's here's what Teresa's going to talk about. But obviously you are the one that has the understanding of what that means for you and what you were going to teach. And so will you help, you know, people listening understand what you mean by highly sensitive children? Sure. And it's so interesting because I also had a little bit of a challenge to try to put what's the word? What is the word? And how do you distinguish it? Because children are so um, interesting these days. They have so many different ways of learning and different ways of needing to be supported. uh, there, there was studies done in the in the 80s that started saying that these children called indigo were coming onto the scene, and apparently psychics at the time saw more indigo in their field, which means that they were more universally oriented mm. than others, more connected to the whole than others, like the planet, and that they would then be mm, having more perceptions related to that. And so they call them the indigo children. And then there were more books written about crystal children and rainbow children, and they had all kinds of names for them. And uh, I began to read uh, the energy of children after I was uh, doing a lot of consulting with leaders and companies. And they would tell me about their angst, and then they started saying that their angst was their child and what was going on with their child. So I said, well, give me the name of your child, because that's how I read energy. Um, I, I listen to the name of a, uh, someone, and then I can see their kind of file. So I would look at these children, and I saw many remarkable things. Uh, for example, one, uh, one gentleman called in, and he said his child's name, and said, uh, this child has been diagnosed with ADHD. And I looked at this this little girl, and she was so exquisitely, her, her whole system was very exquisitely tuned. And I kept seeing images of her maybe doing uh, uh, flower arranging in Japan or maybe working with a, the teacup and looking at how does this, the whole tea ceremony, every little bit of it means something. It's contextual. Mm-hmm. It's important, every bit of it. And then in this day and age, she goes to school, they give her a cup, they say, this is made in China, memorize that. Right. And it's like an affront to her way of being. So she's diagnosed by a system that's less sophisticated than her way of understanding and knowing. So I began to get interested in these children because I started to look at them energetically and see how they were processing their energy. Can, and I have to ask this just so people listening understand, when you talk about reading children, and you did give um, an explanation of what that means, but can you share some of your gifts? Like, what are the things that you know about yourself that you are you know, capable of doing? Sure. Um, I call myself a skilled intuitive because everybody on the planet has intuition. Comes from their, our cavemen days when we had to, like, you know, figure out how to run away from a big monster so we wouldn't get eaten. So we all have those uh, impulses, and everybody will say it's a gut feel or I, it just came to me. So intuition is something that can be learned, taught, and it's a skill uh, that can be developed. So I've spent uh, a lifetime doing that. Uh, starting with, for me, it was a. Um, it really came through my relationship in spirit uh, as a child. And, and again, I think a lot of these children have the experience where, you, or you have, I'm sure, go into a place and you say, oh, I've been here before, even though you've never been there. And it's so familiar and you get it and you know what to do and you know how. And this experience happened to me when I went to mass with my mother. And, and I have uh, 
at 10 brothers and sisters. So I had a laboratory my whole life of children. There were eight younger brothers and sisters. Um, and uh, it was a laboratory. But I would go to Mass with my mother to, to, to have some alone time with her in the morning at 6.30, even from the time I was six. And I had that experience. I walked into church and said, wait, I, I totally know what that guy's doing up there. And I know exactly what to do next. And it was so familiar to me. It felt like home. So it's very happy. So I spent a lot of time uh, going to mass every day with my mom and then by myself when I was at a Catholic school until I had mystic experiences where I think a lot of people have had these experiences too, where, you know, the first time you see your child born or the moment you fall in love or those times when you're meditating and suddenly you feel the light, it was like that. Mm -hmm. But I felt that pretty regularly for 15 years or so when I went to mass. Um, and then uh, with those, I could see spirits, I could hear them, I, could, I, I would ask about how to discern them. So everything that I learned came from, um, most of what I learned came from this communication I had in my heart. And for me, it was Christ. And that's right. how my relationship started. And so when people would say later on, you know, you're a psychic, I was like, I'd be like, uh, no, I'm a mystic with psychic symptoms, okay? I'm not as, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to do that. I don't, right. don't ask me any questions about, you know, who you're going to marry tomorrow. I don't know. So, okay, I have um, two different sides of my brains that are struggling right now because um, I know there's a very logical part of me, which is the mathematical, the, the, the black and white, and uh, the proof you know, I need to have proof of something. And then there's the other side of me, which knows intuitively that I can't begin to comprehend everything that is going on around me, energy, whatever work you want to call it. So 15 years ago, I'd have been like, I don't understand anything you're saying, but now I'm a little more open to it, but yet I'm still skeptical. For example, the example you gave is one of your clients simply said the name of one of their children. And that to me, and then you can, you have a feeling of what that child is like just from hearing the person's name. Can you at least look at it from my one side of my brain's perspective is that seems really weird and odd. Yes, I know it does, doesn't it? Um, so that's the gift of intuition for all of us, because when you hear a voice say, don't get on that plane or call that person, and there's no logic behind it, mm -hmm. and you're like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. why would I do that? And then you find out that that person needed you to call or that plane exploded and mm -hmm. you weren't on it. So intuition doesn't come from a logical mind. The land of intuition sits over just over the the mountain from from logic and uh, logic has to uh, take its shoes off mm -hmm. and it has to go to another land and this land is an intuition the land uh, the language of that land is image and metaphor and abstraction mm -hmm. and the logical mind needs everything in a syllogism and which is great so what you do what i do is say that the, the data that comes out of the intuitive mind uh, is faster. Um, it's usually more accurate because it takes into consideration things that you cannot see or perceive through your five senses, okay. right? You don't know that that plane was going to uh, uh, sure. crash. So it's taking that into consideration. And by the way, you, if you notice in your own intuition and you think about it, it's always on your side. Yeah. You'll never have intuition until you do something that's not on your side, that's not part of your purpose. But isn't there moments when you have a you are in, you have an intuition that something bad might happen, but that thing is actually fear based and has nothing to do with intuition at all? Yet it's my own ego or fear based psych 
psychology that says somebody's in the car at night in the back seat that's going to murder me when in fact there's nobody behind me. Yeah, and I can help you with that if you come. No, I'm just okay. saying. <laughs> no, but I, I think what you're saying is, and this is why I call intuition a skill. Okay. Because uh, the uh, when anything is fear-based, it is not your intuition. So how do you discern that? And that's what skill's about. Okay. Because one of the ways you do it is you locate where that voice or that feeling came in your body. Mm-hmm. And when it comes from your head... Uh, and then this is an interesting thing because when it comes from your head, it's like logic or it's fear. You feel it in your body, like, and you can feel that, uh, sensation. You mm-hmm. begin to distinguish sensations of fear from f- sensations of certainty okay. or that go beyond the fear into the certainty. And when your body says, yes, that's intuition. Okay. It's, so it's, a, a skill, it, and right? it's a skill that's developed through, through you have to, tr- you, you start trusting yourself and you try it and, and you follow yourself and you keep trusting yourself. And when you act on it and you listen and you practice it, it will get stronger. The voice gets stronger, stronger, the feeling gets stronger, stronger. That's what I was going to say is the feeling starts to become so recognizable. It's like a muscle it, that you flex, it, right? That's it. It okay. is. And there are, you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that this is perfection for me because it's a constant practice. But my biggest challenge with that uh, differentiation between fear and feeling was when we were deciding to have Skylar. Mm -hmm. And I was getting a lot of help at the time from somebody who was very skilled in this area, but I was so afraid and I was having those fear like you shouldn't something, it's bad, it's bad for the kids. And what you're talking about is should we have another baby? Right. Okay. But my body really wanted to and it had nothing to do with my history it had nothing to do with anyone but me and it was like literally it's like a it was almost like a visual I can remember that time where it's like you're like lifting it was it's like lifting the fear up and I could still see it and I could still feel it if I really wanted to but it's like that slight separation that we talk about Todd with mindfulness Mm -hmm. you know the whole concept of of you know having all those ruminating thoughts and that running tape but then having that slight separation between it so you can feel the moment. For me, and again, it'll be different for everyone. Words don't really do it justice very well, do they? Well, there's a there is a way again with skill yeah. and understanding of the intuitive function in the brain and and with the intuitive function spiritually to understand that um, there's four basic types of intuition. So if you're if you're a feeler, that's not going to come from your head. It's going to come from your belly. Absolutely. You're going to feel it in your belly or in your and it's called a clear sentient because the word means clear sensing or clear feeling. And then there's uh, you know clairvoyance everybody says clairvoyance but that's a very specific kind of intuition and it's related to how you like you will get visions or you'll get uh the the function of the third eye is in the middle of a head down from the crown of the head and it's insight foresight hindsight and peripheral vision which is how you can see dead people right Mm -hmm. so it's but it's a seeing function but some people hear that's coming from the throat. So, oh, uh, so when you think about, and this is how you can do a little assessment on yourself, think about the last time you had a profound intuition, whatever it was, and how did it come to you? Was it a voice? Was it a picture? Was it a feeling? And those are the major ones. Then there's another one I call just gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which is uh, about uh, direct knowing and it comes in the heart. That's the place where you say, people, people give you the facts and you go, yeah, yeah, I know, but this is what I know. But I know this, mm-hmm. you know, I, but I know. And they said, but this is, no, nobody can touch you when you, you're in there. So that comes through your heart. So these are different parts of the body where your intuitive signals, where you're, you're receiving information and your intuitive signals are telling you, this is good for you. And this is going to support you. Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the interview in a sec. But I want to give you three reasons why you need a McGill first aid kit. 
Number one, it's got the best supplies, not the cheapest. Number two, it's got everything in a standard first aid kit and much, much more. And three, it spells everything out for you in an emergency with their color-coded instructions inside the box. So here's the deal. Visit mcgillfirstaidkit.com to buy your $70 kit for just $60. Bucks. And make sure you use the special coupon ZENCODE to get free shipping and the $10 discount. Would you like to be more mindful and present but are having trouble? Do you want the support you really need to make it happen? Our partner Hunter Clark Fields created Present Mama Community because mothers like you are asking for continued support. In Present Mama Community, you get mindful parenting lessons, short yoga practices that can fit into your day, and guided meditation specifically for busy moms. But the ultimate value is in the support. You can hop on the phone multiple times a month for live coaching calls to help you through your challenges. Go to presentmamacommunity.com to check it out. This is good for you, and this is going to support you in your purpose, and that's what intuition is about. Mm. Do they? I have to ask one more question. Okay. This is fascinating to me because do they do they mix sometimes? And I say that just because I would say that I hear things, but what I always say to Todd is I see it. Mm-hmm. So it, they they're mixed to me. Yeah. I feel like it's an audio download in my brain. It showers. Blah, 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 showers. They just, it, but then. What you, see, what you mean is when you're taking a shower, I you just, get downloads. Oh my gosh. Like where I kind of want to say to somebody, uh, I don't have a piece. I said what I want in the shower is a chalkboard <laughs> yeah. because I'm like, but then when I'm talking to Todd, I, I say, I can only see it. I can't describe it to you. So what is that? What is that intermixing? So um, that's the difference between a receptor site and then uh, you can, well, l- let me put it this way. Many of us are multifunctional. Okay. So. Uh, I do all of it. I'm a clairsentient, clairvoyant, clairaudient, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying. That's what you get, right? <laughs> That's I hear just you. what you get if you keep practicing. Right. You, all of the, all, what you're doing is saying that all these receptor sites are open for uh, information, for data. And you're not disallowing by saying that's not okay. You're not having a belief system that blocks it. And in fact, you're opening it on purpose, which is the same thing as saying if you if you wanted to become a ballerina, you, there are parts of your body that and would not relate to each other that way unless you practiced opening those muscles and those joints in a certain way that allows you to do those those feats that they do on stage. So this is exactly the same. It's a muscle that we all have the opportunity to develop and we can open all of them, some of them. So in my case, I'm mostly first, like you, clairaudient. So when someone says their name, I can see at this point pretty much anything that they want me. It's a holograph. I can see it all. Do you get, do you get it with some people? Like if, if we have three daughters, if we said all three daughters' names, would you be able to get a picture of I don't know, personality traits or into level of intuition just based off of us saying their names? Right. But I do my work very deeply at a soul level. So I'm looking at when someone says a name, I'll go into the field to say, uh, and, and I'm being very respectful. I have a lot of um, ethics behind what I do. If somebody says, I want to know if you know, my husband is cheating. First of all, those aren't the clients I take anyway. But even if they did, my ethics would say that's not my business nor yours. You you ask him, you know, figure it out yourself. But if you want to know, you know, I I feel like I'm resisting the growth that I'm about to, like there's a path I want to take and I feel resistance and I don't know why. Those are more often the clients that I'm working with. So I'm going very deep into the field to see what are the fear-based beliefs and what are the unique What's the unique giftedness? 
Uh, so, for example, a client who was a, a woman who was a, a leader in a company who had sold her company was going to do her next uh uh, adventure. She didn't know really w- where to go, and she was a little felt a little stuck about it. Um, but she was open. So when I looked at her field in terms of looking at unique giftedness, mm-hmm. I, I saw her this little blonde, pretty woman as a big fat Italian man in a restaurant in Italy. <laughs> and I told her, okay, here's the thing: you were this big guy, and you had this, you know, you had a. Um, this whole community loved to go to your restaurant because when they were there, you demanded that they say fun things and talk about the, and you would encourage all of the happiness and the joy. And I said, the thing is, you weren't a great cook. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you weren't a great cook. So they weren't coming for the food, but they loved to be together when around you, you drew them because you, you create communities Community. of joy. So then, yeah. So then later, uh, you know, she told me that she was about to get, uh, a master's in hospitality and buy a restaurant because she knew she wanted to gather people around and have a good time. She said, but the thing is, I don't cook. And every other month I have my friends over and I make everybody else cook. And I also make them tell jokes. So, I mean, she, she, yes. she, uh, people always do this. They confirm that kind of story in the current life that looks just like the picture I might've seen in. So what, so what you're saying is you're not even speaking metaphorically. You're saying you read the field or I'm trying to write these notes down, but you looked at her field and you saw that at one point her soul wasn't this 2015 year old woman, uh, you know, the year 2015, she, she, her soul was, uh, an Italian man who, at a restaurant. Well, this is the way I say it. <clears throat> Some people call this past life. Okay. Some people call it archetypes. Some people call it collective unconscious. See, I can I can attach myself to archetypes much yeah. easier than I can to past life. And I call it your truth wrapped in a story and I couldn't care less. Got it. Cuz who cares if it works, it works. Right. It's the idea is here's why we're doing it. So let's let's get down to the basics. We're doing this and in her case that was a unique gift. Like she was, she was trying to run a, buy a restaurant, but now she wasn't going to do that. But I said, you know, you don't want to go into psychology where you're listening to people's problems. You want to go create community where you can create joy. It gave her a lot more options and it felt right to her. It get to her. Uh. Yes. That's the gift of it. But then I'll also see places where people will stop themselves from realizing their vision because there's some fundamental fears that they have going on. And those are also told through stories. So if you can see a fear through a story, it's like going to the theater. You start, oh, I get it. That's how that character fixed that thing that I've been stuck in. And I see it from another perspective. So at essence, what you want is when you have a fear, so energetically, if I looked at you and I saw your energy, it looks like a black hole in your field. And, and black holes suck in everything on the event horizon in, in outer space. And so does it in your field. Like if you have a fear that I'm not good enough, you might front that fear with a strategy that says, I'm fabulous. <laughs> so and, and make it so big uh, that nobody is going to question what's going what's on. Behind. Even more subtly, let's say you're afraid that you're, you're not worthy of being taken care of. So you're going to front it with, I'm the best caregiver in the world. Who's going to question you? Right. Nobody, because they love the way you take care of them. Right. They're not going to ask you how you feel because they love being taken care of. That's awesome. So we want to get to that fear and release it. And the only way to release it is here's a story, and you're going to send mercy and compassion mm-hmm. into a place where you've been holding on for a long time. And the energy then opens up, and it no longer matters. Because we create matter 
out of belief system, repeated thoughts, add to, the, add to that the emotional body. Now it matters to me. Mm. So we're going to try to get it to not matter so you can release it from your field. And that's the essence of what we're doing energetically. So, so beautiful. I'm both fascinated and confused all at the well, same time. Well, let me just say this, Therese. The tagline to our show is a logical and practical dad and emotional and spiritual mom. So these are the discussions we've been having. Today's our anniversary. Hey. Happy anniversary. Yes, it hey, is. Happy anniversary. We've been having these discussions. We've known each other since we were like 20 years old, but for our whole lives. And to Todd's point, he – it and again, it – I don't have the explanation for why, and it's not right or wrong or good or bad. And it's not, it's just, we talk about the way we see things and Todd doesn't, he's very literal, you know, and, and he. Less literal than I used to be. That's what I was just going to say. But yet very literal. That's what I was just going to say is these are, when we have these discussions or when I share things that I, that I don't have explanations for, but it's just something I know, or, you know, some of the language you're using, he's very receptive. Um, But it's, I, I love the way you ask questions because you want to know it on this like Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out with my brain and I know I can't get it all with my brain. Even though your language is beautiful, that, that whole idea of story, I mean, that's it. If people can see it like a play, it makes sense. And they're not trying to look at just one thing. They look at the big picture and they see it. And that is um, beautiful. So I have a question. Do you have to intentionally look at somebody's field or does it happen regardless of whether or not you want to or not? Because that could be pretty debilitating, Mm -hmm. right? For you, yeah. For you. Mm -hmm. Well, it used to be harder. Um, When I was younger, I could feel people's pain exquisitely. And that's what made me a better healer because I I did a study one time to to find the fastest way to transform somebody's energy in the world. That was my, it was, I was doing this because, well, that wasn't altruistic because if I could fix you, then I could feel better. (laughs) So I would do, you know, I studied 50 different kinds of alternative healing just to find the fastest way to do it. And I found the fastest to be body centered and very gentle and very slow. That's how it, mm. you know, go slow to go fast because it's like a child. Your body's like a child, every part of it, every belief system. You know, I tell my daughter when she was little and she would say, I don't want to tell you. I would say, oh, no, you shouldn't tell me. You should keep that to yourself. It's important. She'd say, okay, I'll tell you. Mm. <laughs> because as soon as you get permission for something to be where it is, it'll open yeah. to the next thing. So that's, that's the same as all of your energy. Mm. Um, so, and that's, you know, that's what we were just talking about in the last show, that the only way to make change is accept where you are first. And then right. it's the exact same idea. That's beautiful. And this might be just childhood, naive curiosity, but we met each other at the conference and we spent like two seconds together and yet, and another 30 seconds before we pressed record. But can you, are there things about me or Kathy or both of us that you can say without knowing it? Logically, like already. Well, I could, but you know, I always tell people, yes, if you pay me a bunch of money, I will. Um, <laughs> because what it's people work. want on uh, a quick read, yeah, uh, it, I, I go pretty deep. I could do that, right? But I always consider it like an invasion of people's privacy. Um, and so, to answer your earlier question, after I learned this skill, it took me many, 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 many years. To not be, uh, to, to know my own boundaries, mm-hmm. to know how to ground center and have healthy boundaries so that when I'm working in someone's field and people have come to me with lots of different things because I work on a lot of levels, um, I had to know the difference between them and myself. So I remember early on I was doing a reading once and a woman walked in and I always say a prayer for myself to be in compassionate neutrality and ask for the highest good to be done for every reading. And uh, 
I started doing the prayer, and all of a sudden I started thinking to myself, what am I doing? What is energy? You can't even see it. I can't believe I'm even doing this. What? And all of a sudden I realized I'm praying and thinking this at the same time. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. okay, sorry. Oh, I'm going to start over. I do it again. And I'm thinking, I, I'm actually charging this woman to do this. I'm going to have to give her money back. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing? And then all of a sudden I stopped and I said, excuse me, I have to ask a question. She said, what? I said, do you have any self-doubt? <laughs> She goes, oh, my God, it's my whole life. Self-doubt. That's all I have. So what happened is she has self-doubt as a major issue. I have self-doubt. And we matched pictures. Yeah. And I took on her self-doubt like it was mine. And now I couldn't even do the reading because I'm paralyzed with self-doubt. Is that called transference? It's transference. Yes, energetically, that's correct. Okay. And what is important in energy work is to discern, oh, there's a different feeling, a little a subtle quality of difference. So now I could, if I were reading, you would tell the difference between self-disappointment and, self uh, and self-doubt. Okay. And they have different feelings energetically, those two words. Hmm. And I learned through, I'm a, also a basic training in um, somatic psychotherapy, which is a body-centered psychotherapy. And so when you are talking to someone who's caught in something and you use the word self-doubt, if they're literally in self-disappointment, their energy doesn't move. But if you use the word self-disappointment, boom, it opens up because you know it. You're, you're, you start to vibrate at exactly the frequency that's being held mm -hmm. hostage in their field through their fear. And when you do that, it begins to open. And once again, opening so it doesn't matter so much. Interesting. So we're trying to align people so that what matters to them is detachment, it's release. Interesting. And something that, and again, through practice, I used to, if I was with somebody and I matched what was going on with them, not only would I feel it, I would carry it out with me and I would get into significant depressions because I didn't know how to, you know. Hope you enjoyed uh, part one of the two-part interview. We'll uh, play the second half next week. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope you felt outstanding. So there's some different ways you can support us. Um, one of them is by asking either Kathy or myself or maybe both of us to speak at your next event. Or you can also tell a friend about our podcast. If you ship Amazon, go through the link on zenparentingradio.com first. It doesn't cost you anything, but Zen Parenting will get a small commission. You can also buy any of Kathy's three amazing books through Amazon or our homepage. And if you're like me and you want to teach your children personal financial management, then use FAMZOO. It's an amazing resource. It's a virtual family bank that will set your children on a path towards financial freedom. Click on the link on the lower right-hand side of our homepage to learn more. And if you're a Chicago guy and want to learn more about the tribe, the men's group that I lead, go to thetribemensgroup.com. Do you want to grow your business by partnering with us? Shoot me an email. And you can also give us an iTunes review. Lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast through our homepage or iTunes directly. This will guarantee you're up to speed on the latest and greatest of Zen Parenting Radio. You can always send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Finally, we're thankful for all your support and encouragement and always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Keep trucking. Thank you.